Maybe he wants a hitter to try to jump out of his shoes and swing, but thus far, most of the hitters have refused to swing. And it'll be a 1 0 to A Rod. Another one is swung on, hit high in the air to left. White back, looking up. That ball is gone. Oh, A Rod double clutched and waited on the change and hit it a mile high and deep to left for a home run. Hi, this is Emily Nyman, and you're listening to Breaking Balls. Welcome to episode 87 of Breaking Balls. I'm your host, Emily Nyman. I'm joined by my co-host, John Snyder. You can find us on Twitter, at BreakBallsPod. Or if you're feeling brassy, give the Breaking Balls hotline a call. 631-820-7377. We are back after a week off, and now we are a mere hours away from the current CBA expiring. The lockout is looming, but... Everything is all smiles over here at Breaking Balls headquarters. And I think it has a little something to do with that franchise in Queens. Yeah, uh, you're joined by your co-host, John Snyder, today. And he's feeling it right now with this new ownership, with this new GM. Yo, the Mets, it's so funny to me, man. So, like... We go back to, remember last episode, we were complaining, like, the whole Thor thing, right? Like, oh, no, Thor is not a Met anymore. And then Stephen Matz signed with the Cardinals. And Uncle Stevie did not take that too kindly. He took to Twitter. He called Matz's agent out. Like, you know, he was all butthurt about it. And everyone was kind of like, oh, God, this is going to be another long offseason. You know, we already lost two pitchers, blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. This awakened the sleeping giant that is Steve Cohen's checkbook. <laughs> The Mets went on a fucking spree this past week. They signed Eduardo Escobar, Mark Canna, Sterling Marte. And are you sitting down? I can see you on camera. You are sitting down, so I'll continue. Max fucking Scherzer is a New York Met. I still, I, I, I just have to say it out loud repeatedly because it does not feel real. I can't believe it. I mean, hell hath no fury like a billionaire like scorned a, <laughs> by Stephen Matz. Like a billionaire scorned. <laughs> and the craziest part, and it turns out it's not even true, because I remember last year when the Nats were trading Scherzer, he wanted to go to the West Coast. And then I guess that got conflated in that that's where he prefers to play. So in this offseason, that has been something that's been like a rumble in the rumor mill. And then he signed to the Mets and he was like, I don't know where everyone got that from. I live in Jupiter. My parents live there. And the Mets spring training facility is literally like 15 minutes right. from his house. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's for one thing, it traces back to the fact that this was a narrative that was very heavily pushed by baseball media, New York media in particular. This is another instance where like, my gut is to be like, oh, see, all the fans are freaking out for nothing. No, the fans are being misled into thinking that Scherzer had these like requirements and like, oh, I'm not going to play here. It's like, no, he just apparently wanted to go to uh, California for the rest of the season because... 
you know, why not? But he had no problem coming to New York. And, you know, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that it wasn't about the money at all, because obviously it was. You know, I mean, $130 million over three years, uh, $43.3 million AAV. That's no joke. So, like, as one of the union Highest heads, of all time. Highest of all time. Right, some, and not close. I believe that beats uh, Cole's uh, AAV, right? Yeah, by over $5 million. Right. So, I mean, for one thing, in his position, you know, as one of the union heads... He had to take that deal if he was offered it. But he's also Max Scherzer. He has nothing to prove to anybody at this point. He's already a multi-million, you know, yada, yada, yada. So an important component of this was Steve Cohen and Alex Cohen, too, Steve's wife. Apparently, they went out of their way to really sell uh, Scherzer on this new Mets culture that they're trying to create. And Max Scherzer is somebody who, right off the bat, just by being in that clubhouse, he doesn't have to throw a pitch yet it already helps change that culture. Because we know who Max is. He's a crazy competitor. He's an intense dude. Apparently, he is an amazing clubhouse leader. And you just know there's no bullshit tolerance with Max Scherzer. You know what I'm saying? So uh, on every level, not only having him and DeGrom at the top of a rotation, which that's the best one-two punch in... I don't even know how long, 10 years, 20 years. It's insane how good it is. And again, just that clubhouse presence. And you could say this for a lot of these guys, like Eduardo Escobar, by all accounts, is a great clubhouse guy. Mark Kana, you hear good things about him in the clubhouse. So a lot of these veteran signings, um, it goes beyond what they're going to do on the field. And it helps to change uh, the clubhouse that last year had all kinds of, you know, the raccoon story and the thumbs down to the fans story. Like or hate those things, whatever, that's not important. Kind of safe to say that's not the direction that Mets players will be going moving forward with these guys on their team now. It's the perfect example of when people are like, you can't just throw money at a problem to solve it. Yeah, you fucking can. You absolutely can. I mean, the narrative <laughs> about the Mets from last week to this week has been so polar opposite that it's almost comical. The shit that was being said about them in the media last week to now, where it's like, the Mets are fixed. I've like basically seen headlines like that. <laughs> that this, these moves changed everything. And what more could you ask for? This is what Cohen promised. This is what his net worth promised anyway, if he didn't come out right and say that he's going to spend a lot of money. And this is honestly what the other owners were worried about yep. happening. So it's really interesting for him to have done this right before the lockout. I mean, because you have to assume that he's still in cahoots with the other owners. You know, I'm sure it's not just him on an island and the rest. But this is still a very interesting move for the new guy to make right before, like, the first lockout since 1994. It, it is. And, you know, I mean, it speaks really well to not only Steve Cohen, but to Billy Epler, too. Brand new GM. And one of the things, if you remember a couple weeks ago, I had said was... Not that this was my original idea, but, you know, one of the things going around was like, hey, he had a rough time in Los Angeles, partially because Art Moreno is notoriously just interfering as all hell. Yeah, as he sucks. Owner. Right, exactly. You know, Will Pond-esque. It's something the Mets are used to. So, I mean, right off the bat, the dude interviews well. You know, Billy Epler, by all accounts, is a really likable guy. I really enjoyed his introductory press conference. But even despite that, it was like, okay, seems like a nice dude, but what's he going to do? Uh, how about commit over $250 million over the next week? I heard his interview today, and today it's December 1st on Wednesday. He was on the Michael K. show, and it was a great interview. Uh, you know, he has a 
a pre-existing relationship with Michael Kay because Billy Epler, his mentor was Gene Michael and, and Cashman. So he worked for the Yankees for a while and he sort of cut his teeth, so to speak, out here in New York. And he was just talking about how much he loves being here because the narrative was no one wants this Mets job. No one wants to come here, have the mess. And Michael Kay asked him straight up, like, how did you feel about taking this job? Is that how you felt? And he was like, no, I, I feel comfortable here. My wife and I couldn't wait to get back here. And an interesting point that he made was when he saw, he, he I guess he had been negotiating with all of these players. And the reason he went after it the way he did is because he saw an opening to make these offers. And he saw that there was uh, a few players that were going to be willing to sign before the CBA expiration. So he said that that night or whenever it came clear that he was able to make these deals, he called Steve Cohen. He made the point that Steve Cohen is available to him 24 hours a day, it feels like. And same thing with Sandy Alderson. Alderson got on a plane, flew out to Phoenix. Then they made the first deal. Then he flew back to Florida. Then the next day he got on a plane, flew to New York. So I imagine for Mets fans who are listening and now anyone who's listening to this, that feels good because that's something that that sort of transparency was totally not a thing with the Wilpons and yep. the rest of their bullshit made it made you think that that kind of stuff wasn't even going on behind closed doors. So now here is your GM on the Michael Queso show. Might I add for the first time in years, because I guess the Wilpons and their paranoia, they didn't allow anyone from the Mets to be on the Michael K show. So this was the first time in God knows how long that they had a representative from that organization speaking to one of the m biggest sports talk radio shows. And it's such like a basic sense of normalcy that we've been craving. You know what I mean? It's not even in a vacuum. It's not even a big thing. You know what right. I mean? Like, you know, you have two big teams in the same city, you know, interview with the other city's commentator or whatever. It seems like such an innocuous thing. But for the Wilpons... There were no innocuous things. Everything was a goddamn issue. Everything was something. So just to be like, yeah, of course you can go on the Michael K show. And it went great. And he came off likable. Like there was no animosity. It's just, I'll tell you what, man. Like, you know, everyone, as soon as Cohen got the team, they wanted the changes immediately. We've been saying the whole time, these things take time. And now we're finally starting to see the fruits of all these come to bear. You know what's funny is this this episode might act as a uh, a time capsule of sorts for some of our fans because we are recording in the last like two and a half hours before the CBA uh, expires. So, you know, we're talking about, you know, real baseball right now uh, before the lockout. But yeah, so by all accounts, too, they're not done. I mean, they'll probably be done, you know, for the next two hours. But, you know, we still need a starting pitcher. We still need relief pitching. We're still considering a, uh, a position player, which, I mean, those needs became... Well, not more pronounced, but just kind of like confirmed because uh, Javi Baez wound up signing with the Tigers. You got six years, $140 million. And it's kind of safe to say once the Scherzer deal went down, Javi was gone. Like that was, that, that's as much as, as deep as his pockets are, Steve Cohen, I'm talking here, you know, there's still a limit, you know, there's still a reasonable, you know. They did make an offer though. Oh yeah, well. It just and, got beat. And that's important to remember. Apparently they offered him $125 million. Uh, I didn't see the specified years in that deal. But yeah, you know, I think if they weren't willing to go six years, it could have been as simple as that. You know, Javi wanted more years, whatever. Uh, that's all speculation. But the other thing we do know is that Marcus Stroman, and this is... I guess as breaking news as we get on Breaking Balls in that it happened <laughs> in the last hour. 
<laughs> um, but Marcus Stroman is signing with the Cubs. Three years, $71 million. Uh, good for him. It was good timing, too, because we're not going to get into it, but Stroman was... Um, trending towards a little more insufferable than usual on Twitter. So I unfollowed him just because, like, I need a break. Let me see what this guy winds up doing. And then he signed with the Cubs. So good timing, John. And just to add quickly, the Marte and the Kana signings also indicate that the Mets are totally done with Conforto. I mean, now there's just nowhere for him to play. Conforto's done, 100%. Because who else is – who's the third outfielder? So you have Marte, you have Kana, and now who's who's still left? Uh, Nimmo. Oh, yeah, that's right. And they're talking contract extension with Nimmo, potentially, which would be a great idea. The Mets weren't the only team to make a splash this week. The fucking Texas Rangers broke out the checkbook and shot the lock off the wallet. And Big they time. S- signed Marcus Semyon. They signed John Gray. And then they signed Corey Seager to a 10-year deal. Uh, how will you be paying for this? Cash. $325 million. I mean... I was shocked that they signed Semyon. And then when they made that move, I, I, I figured they were done. I had no idea they were going to stack the middle of their infield like that. I mean, the AL West in general has just been very, very active this offseason so far. The Angels were really active, signing a bunch of former Mets last week. I was going to say, yeah, the Angels are Mets West this year. And after we recorded, they uh, signed Aaron Loop. So it's like they're just completing the Mets West. <laughs> and then the Mariners added Robbie Ray, which that was kind of strange. Not that they added him, but that the Blue Jays didn't sign Robbie Ray, but they signed right-hand pitcher Kevin Gausman, who played for the Giants this year, to like almost an identical yeah. deal, money and years. And they're both 30 years old. They're both right-handed pitchers, but one of them... Just want to Cy Young. Only one. That, right, right. I feel like they were anticipating maybe him signing for more, or maybe Ray just panicked and then signed before the CBA expiration, maybe under what he say, possibly could have commanded. Have come down to $5 million over five years. Like, come on. And I think that he, uh, uh, if I remember correctly, and I could be wrong, I'm pretty sure Ray signed with the Mariners before the Blue Jays signed Gausman. That's so correct. So maybe they tried? I, it, it could well be. I mean, you know, that was my first reaction was like, you had a guy win the Cy Young and you're letting him go. And then I thought back, I was like, oh, right. R.A. didn't. Never mind. Exactly. And Ray <laughs> has already had a lot of ups and downs. So maybe I'm uh, giving him a little bit too much credit by thinking that he could have commanded more than he actually That's got. That's true, because this was like a big bounce back year for him we talked about. He's lucky that Garrett Cole had the kind of second half that he did because Cole... Probably should have won, but the optics were bad for Cole, and there's no way the writers were going to vote him as the winner, knowing how his performance looked overall in the last few weeks of the season. But speaking of former Cy Young winners, the Tampa Bay Rays have signed Corey Kluber to a one-year deal, which of course means that he is going to pitch a second no-hitter against the Yankees this year, most likely. (laughs) I was going to say, can you have a show me deal after a show me deal? Like, can you get two in a row? (laughs) Apparently. I mean, the guy threw that fucking no hitter. It was a gem. And then he was not heard from again until I I guess he made a few starts at the end of the season. But the Rays have spun gold out of dog shit many times. (laughs) So I won't be surprised if it happens here. And another surprising move in the market this offseason came from the Rays and it was an extension. I know. Brooks Raley? Really? I know. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> and they extended Wander Franco 11 years, $182 million. I mean, that is just 
that's like their payroll times three from last year. I mean, that is insane yeah. money for the Rays. That's, I mean, hey, first and foremost, good for Wander Franco. Get paid. Totes. However, it's an absolute indictment on the system that he, you know, that this deal was something good for him to take. You know what I'm saying? The amount of team control that these teams have on these young guys, was it like seven years right out of the gate, eight years, something like that? Yeah, it takes almost a decade to reach free agency. Yeah, so I mean, the fact that, again, you cannot begrudge Wander for getting paid, but the fact that it made sense for him to sign this, just completely, the system needs reform. It's ridiculous. It's such an unbelievably tradable contract too. Like the haul that they're going to the get raise, for him. You don't say. Oh my, I, exactly. Like <laughs> the haul, like people were like this, everyone should be happy. The Rays never do this and they're spending money. It's like, yeah, that's great. That is fantastic. It's like way to miss the point. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. I'm happy for the Rays, happy for baseball. But they're going to trade him in fucking three or four years when he is only in his mid twenties and his value will be through the roof. And this is going to be an unbelievably an unbelievably steal, I just almost said. It's going to be an unbelievable <laughs> steal for whatever team gets it. Well, because it's also, you know, it's important to think in terms of AAV and, you know, 182 million, that's a big fat contract. It's 16 and a half million AAV. Do you think he's not going to develop into more than that? He very likely will. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, Marcus Semyon just signed a deal in his mid 30s for 25 million a year. Marcus Stroman signed a deal that's 23 million a year. And Wander Franco, in five years from now, is going to be making $16 million a year. And dude, did you hear Max Scherzer signed with the Mets? Hey, big spender! Which, quick <laughs> Sorry, point I, I, on need that, to, I need to keep saying it. I'm sorry. We, we just loop back and we're just reiterating. But to not reiterate, but to add... Scherzer was the oldest player in history to sign a hundred million dollar or more contract. I mean, it. He's he's getting older, yeah, but he also posted. I think it was his either lowest or second lowest ERA season last year, something like that. I mean, and that's, oh yeah, he's still legit, right? And, and that's the big thing. Like as you know, as with everything else, if he and Degrom can stay healthy, yada yada yada. But. Pff. There's still a ton of free agents on the market. And I, there will be for the next several months now. Yeah, for an indefinite amount of time. Before we started recording, I went to just, I always print out a shitload of things that I don't even look through, but I look through them before we record. So they're worth something. In some of those papers was a list of who's signed, who hasn't, because I wanted to see, all right, let me see who's left. I literally, after page five, stopped printing them because there are so many free agents. And it's just a reminder that the free agents that get spoken about, like the sexy free agents, the ones that are at the very, very top end of the scale, they're the only ones that get discussed. There are a shitload of solid players, position players, pitchers alike, that are still available. Like, I'd say probably over like 100 at least. And, and you know, I mean, it's, it's easy for me to say this because... Did I mention my team just signed Max Scherzer? Hey, big spender! Um, no, but <laughs> Never seriously, heard of it's, <laughs> it's so easy to undervalue the contributions these other guys can make, you know, when you are talking about all these big, splashy names. And it's like the implication in the public discourse almost seems to be like 
if you sign these big free agents, therefore you will 100% win the World Series. And the reality is that's just not how it works. You know, these these guys that, like you said, they're not as sexy names, you know, they're not marquee names. They're also some very good players out there that can help you get where you need to go. So it is far from over, which I can't believe I have to say out loud on December 1st, but here we are. And there are even still some sexy elite names available. Yankee fans, I, and I, I'm not even going to try to separate myself from this because I'd be lying if I said I wasn't feeling a little sense of urgency just because of the speed at which a lot of these deals were occurring and seeing some of the top shortstops come off the board within like hours from each other was somewhat jarring. But like you said, it's only December 1st. You still got still your boy up there though. Exactly. That was the point I was going to make. I know we want the Yankees to make a move. It's fun. It's exciting when there's some new blood inserted into the lineup. We're all very antsy for it, whether it be Correa, hopefully, or Story, or a trade with the A's for Olsen or, or some pitching. Take a deep breath, everybody. The players that we all want are still available. I know some of you wanted Seager, but there's still elite options available, and there's no reason to lose our fucking minds, especially going into the lockout when literally nothing's going to happen. It's not like the rug's going to get pulled out from under the Yankees and when the lockout's over, they're going to come back to the board and everyone's signed and now they're fucked. Yeah, Correa's like, hey guys, sorry, during the lockout I signed with the Red Sox. (laughs) Speaking of the Red Sox, they signed fucking James Paxton today. Once again, the Yankees' discarded trash is going to be in a uniform for the Red Sox pitching for them. (laughs) <laughs> and I can't wait for Giancarlo Stanton to greet his former teammate by hitting monster dongs off of him onto Lansdowne Street. Well, I mean, that's that's some of the most fun of this time of year is like, like I can't wait to like face Stroman now when he's on the Cubs. Dude, even like, you know, we opened the season against the Nationals. Ooh. Oh, yeah, I can't wait. That's amazing. The Yankees did do some things because the, the non-tender tender deadline happened yesterday at 8 p.m., they tendered everybody who was eligible. They didn't let anybody walk, and that includes uh, Gary Sanchez, Luke Voigt, and Miguel Andujar. The tender deadline sounds like a bad soap opera or something. I don't know. There's so much shit that goes on this time of year, all these little deadlines that are just so weird, and they obviously have a place and a reason, but because we only get like snippets of why they do these things, it's like, wait, what? Why would they let him walk? Wait, I thought he was in team control. What The arbitration process is just such a mindfuck. Well, it's funny too, because like for us, it's all these, well, for lack of a better word, arbitrary dates. And <laughs> But like, you know, like on their side, you know, teams and agents, they have these days circled and these are huge. Like we got to get this done before this, like all this pressure is on. We're just like, wait, what? It was the chicken tender deadline. What happened? There were a lot of Yankee fans who were uh, a little pissed off and also surprised that the Yankees tendered a contract to Sanchez and didn't have him walk. To which I ask, who the fuck were they going to get to play catcher then? Higashioka? People really say on one day that they want the Yankees to compete and they want them to be serious about winning. And then the next day suggest that the Yankees should have let Sanchez walk and have Kyle Higashioka be the starting catcher on a team that's trying to win a World Series. Like, I get it. Gary Sanchez isn't exactly Yogi Berra, but he's a lot better at the plate than Kyle Higashioka. So I don't know what people expected. I mean, the only catcher available, I think, was Yan Gomes, and he signed with a team that I can't think of right now. So I get 
wanting to play GM. We do it too. I do it plenty all the time. But at least think for half a second, who's going to fill this spot if they get rid of this guy? Realistically. I'm just trying to do something with like you saying that fans were disappointed he didn't walk. And I'm like, well, he doesn't walk that often, right? <laughs> got like what, maybe 30 or 40 last year? There's been some rumors that the Yankees are in talks with uh, Freddie Freeman. And it's really funny whenever I say that, I, real quick, because I'm the first to point out that the Yankees are rumored <laughs> right. every everybody, year right, for right. everybody. But <laughs> I buy it hook, line, and sinker. I'm like, oh, my God, Freddie Freeman's talking to the Yankees? Well, oh, my God. this one's real. I just got to say, I would fucking love for the Yankees to sign Freeman, not just because he's great and he would hit a thousand home runs at Yankee Stadium. I would love it because Braves fans who I didn't have any beef with until they won a World Series, they got to celebrate their World Series for about 30 seconds. And then their golden boy favorite franchise player is now rumored to be going everywhere else besides Atlanta. I was going to say, for a year where the Braves, I guess, had to win the World Series, we have now <laughs> entered the best possible timeline from there. I'm into it. Talk about a fucking role reversal, because I feel like Ted Turner for a while was like Steinbrenner of the South, and I know he doesn't own the team anymore. <laughs> Steinbrenner of the South. <laughs> she should get a placard for his desk. So like now, the tables truly have turned. The Braves win a World Series, but at what cost? Now the Mets have fucking everybody that they could possibly want and hopefully are going to shift the tables in the NL East. Oh, from your mouth to God's ears. Let's go. We've already mentioned that the A's have uh, made it known that they're willing to talk with teams about some trades. The Reds apparently are throwing their hat into that ring as well. And they have uh, some sexy trade pieces in Sonny Gray and Luis Castillo. Now, Castillo was a target that a lot of Yankee fans were hoping the Yankees would get either before 2020 or before this past season. I can't remember which. Obviously didn't happen. And Sonny Gray is an interesting case because he used to play for the Yankees. He was traded to the Yankees uh, back in 2017, and he just did not jive here. I don't know if it was him. I don't know if it was Larry Rothschild, the uh, former pitching coach, but I I wouldn't hate seeing them give it a shot again. I mean, they have Matt Blake now, who is just an elite pitching coach, and he is all in on the advancements in the game and at the forefront of the technology with the pitchers and the analytics. So I feel like he might jive a little bit better with someone like Sonny Gray. So I wouldn't hate seeing them give him another shot in New York because he can. He had some flashes of being elite here, and his ceiling is certainly high. So, yeah, I mean— that, would, uh, that wouldn't be the worst move. But again, I got to think the Yankees are going to do something big and splashy. You know what I mean? I mean, like, I got a kick out of, you heard this too, Michael Kay complaining on his show. He's like, oh, it's not fair. The Mets are spending all this money. It's like, you're the goddamn Yankees. You originated that whole thing. Like, go spend some money. Like, what are you crying about? And keep in mind, everybody, and by everybody, I mean me, Emily, I'm talking to you. This is not for our entertainment. It's an entertainment product. So all of this is sold to us via media, like as if it's all the entertainment. But this aspect, the business side, is not. So keep that in mind when the reporters ask every year, and this year is no different because of the excitement around this, this quote, deadline, should there always be a deadline for free agency? Because it... it makes it exciting and, and it and it gives the sport attention and 
no, of course there shouldn't be because this is what these guys do for a living and they shouldn't be rushed to make these decisions that affect them and their families for the rest of their lives. Yeah, like dance for me. And just keep that in mind. Like, we're all frustrated. We all are tired of seeing the Mets and the Blue Jays and the Angels and all these other teams that we didn't think would ever be in this position, but they are making all these moves while we sit here and pull our fucking hair out of our heads. But what do you mean we, mammal? What do you mean we, mammal? (laughs) Have some patience. This sport requires the utmost patience for literally every other aspect. This is no different. In Cashman, I trust, and they've made it clear that they are going after a shortstop. So I just got to have faith because we're about to go into a lockout in two hours. So what am I going to do? Have no faith. And then now there's just nothing for months and just sit here pissed off. Maybe. I'm sorry. I forgot you were literally talking to yourself there. (laughs) I'm like, oh, wait, have we been recording this the whole time? (laughs) Wait, this isn't going to print, is it? Aside from the free agency frenzy. A report came out in Business Insider today about Major League Baseball having two different balls in use in the 2021 season. And immediately, Major League Baseball came out and said, yes, we did. They blamed the production issues that happened in 2020 because of the pandemic, saying that Rawlings wasn't able to make enough of the new balls. So they had to mix in some of the older ones. Now, apparently this is common. This happened in like, I think it was in 2019 or something I was reading. So it's not totally uncommon, but there, I don't know if this was a rumor or someone came out and said it. I was having trouble researching this because the article that all this derived from is behind a paywall. So it was hard to get like the meat of the story. Well, it is Business Insider. If you're not a Business Insider, you're not going to be able to read it. That's true. I didn't even think of that. I was like, why is there a paywall here? Why is this so exclusive? But because <laughs> you're a business outsider. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest issue is if they were doing it intentionally in that, of course, I can't remember right now who said it and, and, and exactly what the direct context was. But the biggest issue with this, of course, is were they just mixed in randomly or was Major League Baseball sending juice balls to some games and then the dead balls to other games? I mean, I feel like without doing any scientific research whatsoever, it's safe to say there were cases of juice balls out in that fucking cornfield in Iowa yes. because l- there was like 11 home runs hit. Well, and I think that's that's an easier game to do that for, right? Because I would think that for any of the ballparks where they're doing, you know, 81 games a year, they're not just getting a small shipment of balls. You know, they're getting pallets of balls and yada, yada. If you're just doing a one-off game in a cornfield in Iowa, it's really easy to be like, yeah, okay, this specific shipment of balls, let's uh, let's tweak it. Now, a couple things on this. For one thing, Pete Alonso kind of called this, and people were ripping on him earlier this year. Now, what's interesting is because Major League Baseball, surprise, surprise, kept everybody in the dark about this until now, it's totally logical that players would come to their own conclusions like that, right? Like they, you know, they interact with these balls every day, obviously, so they can tell there's a difference, but they don't know quite what the uh, what the X factor is. You know what I mean? Like what's the rhyme and reason? And so it's easy at that point to come up with your own conclusions. Like, oh, well, what was Pete's thing? That, uh, you know, any given free agent class, they're gonna, you know, if, if it's a bunch of guys that hit, they're gonna deaden the balls. If it's a bunch of pitchers, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. So there was an element of truth to that. It's just without the full story, players had to draw their own conclusions. 
Now, my other favorite part about this is in the story, uh, one thing that was referenced was Dr. Meredith Wills, who is a physicist on Twitter. She had to, and I love this for our podcast, she had to literally break some balls open. Anyone? Anyone? No? Okay, just me. That's fine. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, she literally broke open the balls and looked to see what was inside them, and there were two different balls. Now, baseball coming out and saying this in no uncertain terms, that's not nothing. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, can, it could be a bunch of things. It could be like a, a fuck you from the league. Like, yeah, we did it. What are you going to do? You know what I mean? Or it could be this you know, just happens to get released right on the eve of the CBA expiring. That's a little too coincidental for me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I definitely agree. And while there is an element of, it's not like basketball and football where they can literally test the pressure and it has to be a certain pressure and they know if it's not or whatever. But in baseball, there is no like standard for the ball, really. Right. I'm sure there's a standard in far as size, but they can make the ball lighter. They can there's variations to the ball. So it's not uncommon for this to happen. But like John said, with the CBA expiration looming and, and all the shit that's going on in baseball, it doesn't look very good. And then add into it the element of Major League Baseball being in bed with all of these online sports betting companies now. It just it just smells. It stinks yeah. to me. I don't know. I, I haven't been able to find the uh, dead mouse in the wall, so to speak, but I can smell it. And there's something to this. And I'm not saying that baseball is uh, fixing games. I'm not. But I will say that of all of the bullshit that's gone on in the league over the years, in my time as a fan, nothing has rang that integrity of the game bell in my head quite like this story did and there's no connection there yet but i don't know i this just is not good it's really bad timing for major league baseball to have DraftKings be like their biggest fucking sponsor and now have this somewhat impropriety come out or seemingly impropriety and just to get even more specific on a point that you just made you you put it really well to me earlier which is like the specific reason this looks bad right before the cba is it's all about leverage, right? It's like, oh, you guys have a problem with there being two different balls? Well, I guess we could add some kind of language that makes us, you know, do some kind of uniform thing, but what are we going to get in return for that? Yeah, real convenient, MLB. I see you. And to uh, tighten the tinfoil hat a little <laughs> bit more. Just I'm picturing like a snapback uh, tinfoil hat. <laughs> <laughs> the foreign substance crackdown, the timing of it, the way it was implemented, and now this story. Looking back on it, it just, I don't Distraction. know. Distraction. Yes, like it just seems like, it just seems all too convenient. It's like, oh, the the reason that the ball is, is fucking popping in one game and then dead as a fucking doornail in another game, it's not because of different balls. It's because of the pitchers getting used to their grip. So they're up and down. So I don't know. I, I'm probably overthinking this now, and I'm probably like Charlie... Kelly with the fucking in the, the mail room. Okay, Charlie, I'm gonna have to stop you right there. Not only do all of these people exist, but they have been asking for their mail on a daily basis. It's all they're talking about up there. Jesus Christ, dude, we are gonna lose our jobs. Well, calm down, because here's one thing that's not gonna happen. What? We're not gonna get fired. We're not, because we've already been fired. 
Charlie, not only does Pepe Silvia exist, everybody is looking for their mail. <laughs> I don't know. There's something. We're going to be following this. I'm sure we'll be talking about it ad nauseum over the lockout because there's going to be very little to go on. But before we get into the voicemails, you all heard the opening this week. You all hear it every week. Usually, we will just pick something random, especially in the off-season. Um, we just try to think of calls or whatever. We decided to make a little game out of it for the off-season, the long off-season. We started it a little bit in November, but we only had two episodes in November, so we decided to just use it in hindsight as an example. Well, let's be real. We were going to do it in November, and we were like, okay, we had three of them ready. And then, <laughs> and then we got to the third episode, we're like, wait, we're not doing a Thanksgiving episode. This isn't going to work. <laughs> Shit. So what we're going to be doing is... There's going to be something that links the opening calls from each episode to the next. So for the month of December, there's something in common that all these home run calls, the players, the situation, the pitcher, whatever it may be, something links them. And it's your job to figure it out. The winner will get a Breaking Balls t-shirt or some other Breaking Balls merch that we uh, haven't come up with yet. Perhaps tinfoil snapbacks. <laughs> that is Just actually saying. kind of a That's good idea. That's not a bad idea. After I was joking about it, I'm like, actually, that would sell. Clearly, John and I are not very into fashion that we both are like, this is a million dollar idea, fucking literal tinfoil hat. Again, business outsiders. We're not good at this. In November, the two openings that we had were uh, a home run call for Stanton and a home run call for Lindor. And the thing that linked them is they both have November birthdays. So it may not necessarily be as simple as something like that, but it's not going to be anything too crazy deep either. But just keep in mind, pay attention to the openings, and then after the last episode of the month, we want you guys to call into the Breaking Balls hotline with your answers. We'll only air the correct answer, and the first one who calls in with that correct answer wins some Breaking Balls merch. Real quick, I had the pleasure of appearing on the Pesky Report podcast last night with Brad, Bailey, and Hogdale. And man, we had a lot of fun. We talked about the crazy free agent signings. We talked about the CBA, the, the off season, next season, everything. We were laughing and it was a great time. And, and it's three Red Sox fans and they were very kind to me. Uh, they let me talk about A-Rod. So I always appreciate that. And if you get a chance, it's on my Twitter page. It's on the Breaking Ball Twitter page. Definitely check it out. It was a great conversation. It felt like we were just hanging out. I like couldn't believe that we were recording. And then it's like, oh, we've been talking for an hour and a half. Oh, shit. <laughs> I was going to say, people are going to listen to this week's opening and be like, oh, the theme is A-Rod. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> and now let's get right into the voicemails. Our first voicemail is from James. Hey, I'm John Rebirth Chaos on 9. Your boy, James, you already know. Um, two things. Number one, Emily, it don't look like the ink is going to be getting anybody. Are you prepared to go in the 2022 season with basically the same roster? That's number one. And number two, John, Mr. Big Spender, Mr. 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 Met right here. Your question is, how are you going to feel with spending all that money and still end up coming in third place in the NL East? John, I have a question for you. Sure, Emily. What's your question for me? Did I sustain uh, some sort of traumatic head injury and was I knocked out for three or four months because the Emily, idea I've been waiting for you to ask that you're in a coma <laughs> your family is all standing around you we've been waiting for you to wake up this is the message you needed to hear because everyone is panicking James have faith man it's only December 1st I understand that there's about to be a lockout so nothing can get done until another 
agreement is in place, but once that agreement is in place, guess what happens? We pick up right where we left off. So I don't think that Cashman not making any moves before this CBA deadline now means that he's not going to do anything. They've made it clear. It hasn't even been rumor. Cashman and Steinbrenner themselves have said to the media that they are looking to make moves. So I have no choice but to take them at their word at this point. James, I'm I'm just going to let all that slide, bro, because I know you're frustrated and I know that you're jealous that now Garrett Cole is the third best pitcher in New York. <laughs> and uh, yeah, man, I'm sorry. You can't bring me down this week. Sorry, man. Not to mention... If anyone knows about spending a shitload of money to come in third place, it's the Yankees of the last 12 years. Right? (laughs) To be fair, though, I'll be objective here. It goes both ways. It's really funny seeing all the Mets fans that spent 20 years being like, oh, guess you can just buy championships to being like, oh, finally, we're buying a championship. Thank God. Oh, yeah, this is fucking amazing. I wish it happened every year. (laughs) That's right. It doesn't feel any different because it's not my money. James, thank you so much for your call. Our next call is from Nick. Hope you all guys had a great Thanksgiving. Mark Kana, Eduardo Escobar, Sterling Marte, and Max Scherzer. Who would have thought? John, congrats for that. Yankees did shit, so we got nothing to celebrate, but all the money going around. Yesterday on Team Cast, Michael K. said by year three, the Rangers will try to dump Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager. Do you guys think that? And who do you think will get Carlos Correa? And will he get over Corey Seager's $325 million? To be honest, I I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Rangers move either of them before the end of their contract. The only problem, I, I can't really guess much beyond that because I have no fucking idea how that organization is run. I don't ever pay attention to them. They couldn't possibly be... Uh, more of a footnote. So I really don't, I'm not going to pretend to know what their plan is to say, yeah, I think they're definitely going to or definitely not going to. I just wouldn't be surprised. I mean, that's also Michael K acting like he has a hot take that's really not a hot take at all. You know what I mean? Like, it's really easy to say like, oh, well, it probably won't go well and they'll probably try and have to figure something else out. Yeah, most teams don't win the World Series every year, Michael. Like, I don't know what else to tell you, buddy. And who is going to get Correa and how much will he get? He will absolutely beat oh, yeah. that deal. I mean, he is not only younger than Seager, but he's also better. So he will definitely, I don't know if he'll beat it in years, but he'll beat it in AAV. And I, fuck it. I think the Yankees are going to get Correa. I think that that is a real possibility. And if he doesn't go to the Yankees, I'm going to say he goes to the Angels. Ah, Angels. Okay. Now I'm going to take this with a big old box of Morton salt because it came from John Heyman. But Heyman did tweet out that uh, Correa might even be down to play third base if the situation is right. Uh, so I really, I don't know what that means as far as where he's going to go, but it really, it seems like nothing is really off the table right now. So I, I really don't, sure, maybe the Yankees. I don't know. I, I really don't know where he's going to go, but he will definitely get paid more than Seager. Willing to play third base? The Rangers sign him. Yeah, imagine well, they you imagine? Seager and Correa, and they'd still <laughs> fucking come in third place in their division. Nick, thank you so much for your call. Our next call is from Spaceman. Hey, what's up? It's your favorite Astros fan, Spaceman, at Top of Your Calling on Twitter. It's Todd Stove season. 
The Astros haven't done much other than uh, lock up Verlander. I know they tendered some uh, contracts to the arbitration eligible guys. But uh, I haven't seen the Yankees do anything. What, what message does that send to you as a fan? I mean, I know the Yankees have enjoyed some success, but not the ultimate success since 2009. So how does that make you feel? Well, first of all, uh, how does it feel not winning a World Series in the last 12 years? Um, it's not been fun, but it's nothing compared to the 55 years that the Astros took. So I'm sure that you can uh, commiserate with that one. But as a fan, I'm not... Listen, I want them to do something. I wanted them to, but I'm not fucking going crazy because they haven't. I don't think that it's any sort of message to the fans. I think that this is a sport that requires a lot of patience and this aspect of the sport being the business side is no different, maybe even more so to certain extents. So I'm just going to hang my hat on. I am hopeful. I'm very hopeful in Cashman I trust. And until I see Correa and Story and all come off the board or Olsen get traded elsewhere or Freeman sign somewhere else. If I see all of the pieces that we were hoping to get to be difference makers gone, that's when I will take it as a fuck you message to the fans. Spaceman, thank you so much for your call. Our next call is from Sylvester. Hello, this is Sylvester. I had concern. Just kidding. This is block. So as free agency has unfolded, my question to you guys is with the astronomical numbers that Simeon and Seeger both pulled in, has Credit Girl already lost the war by letting the market set higher than it had been in the past? And even if he does get Story and or Correa, by definition, will he overpay? Probably moot as Correa worships Cora and is going to sign with the Red Sox, move Bogarts to second base capture a number of world series but hypothetically i'd like your input on the first part much love no i don't think that blockhead i mean this market is like an insulated market so like who's to say what's an overpay you know what i mean like if the market has dictated that Corey seager is worth x then correa is worth more than x because he is a more valuable player so is that really an overpay? You know what I mean? Like, where's the line there? Well, you got to solve for why. That's the problem. This isn't breaking math, okay? This is breaking balls. So wherever the line is, whoever solves for why, we ain't doing it here, all right? It's for the suits in Washington to figure out. And to your second point, seeing as how the Red Sox basically do nothing but sign the Yankees' discarded trash... You cannot hope for Correa, but maybe D.D. Gregorius will get signed by the Red Sox this offseason because he's available and he is a sloppy seconds for you guys from the Yankees. So enjoy that. Oh, shit. Block, thank you so much for your call. Our last call is from Quinn. Hey, it's Quinn. Um, I feel like I'm apologizing to John like half the time I, like half the times I call in um, because I was originally going to uh, make fun of the Mets for not getting Steven Matz and then Steve Cohen, like almost turning into the Joker on Twitter because of it. But then uh, he ended up just signing everybody else. So we just like unleashed his wallet, I guess. So yeah, anyways, that was fun. And then also um, 
congratulations to Aaron Judge for getting what was it nine uh, nine votes for mayor of New York City, and also Aaron Hicks and Brett Gardner for each getting one. Yeah, there, there's some. This is a bit off topic, but there's some amazing ones on here. Like there's Abraham Lincoln was a write-in, uh, Betty White. Harriet Tubman, Jeff Goldblum, Jerry Seinfeld, uh, Walt Disney, Jimmy Neutron. Uh, yeah, just and these are like these are grown adults. Like some grown adults got out of bed, got dressed, like walked or drove or took the bus or something to a polling place, brought all their official information, um, was handed the ballot, and then wrote Homer Simpson on there. And then another guy, same thing, wrote uh, Kim Jong Un. So, yeah, that's that's really something. And also, uh, actually, wait, no, that's all I got. Bye. Quinn, it was really funny to hear you end that voicemail with, you know, some grown adult got up and went there and did this. Because when I saw the list of all of the write-ins, this grown adult, my first thought was, why the fuck have I never thought to do something like this before? Like, I just never thought to write someone funny in. I guess I just... I don't know. I never thought of it. Now I'm like wanting to do that. So I guess that's the mentality. So my big takeaway is that Eric Adams is going to be the shortstop for the Yankees in 2022. Is that right? (laughs) Quinn, thank you so much for your call. And thank you to all of our callers. You guys are awesome. Anyone else listening wants to get in on the fun, feeling brassy, give the Breaking Balls hotline a call. 631-820-7377. As we close out this week's episode, we are now... An hour and 30 minutes away from the 11.59 deadline. At that point, the owners will most likely choose to lock out the players. And we don't know how long this lockout can last. It can last a week, a month. It could last four months and push the season back and potentially cancel the season. And we promise you, we will not be back with an episode until it's over, whenever that is. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But we have been thinking, shit. We better get creative this year because we don't know how much content we're going to possibly get over the next few months. And then we had an emergency plan. Hey, if baseball never comes back, what are we going to (laughs) do? Cancel the podcast? Absolutely not. Hell no. But we will move on to greener pastures. So our top list this week is the top six pivot podcasts. Podcasts that John and I would do together on other topics that we think we would be fucking amazing at. So, John, you want to kick us off with number six? All right, so the number six pivot podcast, if this thing goes on forever, we could talk about Legos. Hell yeah. I mean, we could really talk about Legos. Now, I don't mean to brag, Emily, here. I'm OG Legos. I'm talking like my first sets were like 1990s Black Knights with the ghosts in the castle and all that shit. Now, I have to admit, though, Emily has been outdoing me in terms of Legos over the last few years. I have some catching up to do. I'm actually, I'm, I'm sitting in her living room right now. She's got a six Saturn V that she built. She's got Ecto-1 from Ghostbusters. Like, there's some pretty legit stuff. So she came to the hobby a little bit later. I had it early and fell off a little bit, but we could talk some serious Legos if we, uh, actually, we don't even need the opportunity. We could do it anyway. <laughs> Which was how this started. This was years of like after us hanging out and bullshitting and being funny, being like, we got to record this one of these days. The number five pivot podcast, NASA, space shit. John and I both love the space program, any of that kind of stuff. So we would absolutely kill a podcast on the history of the space program, NASA, astrophysics, anything like that. I mean, I think I'm kind of like wanting this whole list, to be honest. I kind of want to do a podcast, right. every single one of these. 
I just want to do uh, Apollo 13 in Mystery Science Theater 3000 style. Um, it's just me crying the entire time. You crying while I'm just making terrible jokes. All right, so the number four pivot podcast. This is the only one with an official name. So Emily and I, and you should be too if you're not already, are huge fans of the show What We Do in the Shadows. I believe we've mentioned it on the pod before, so I won't go out of my way to tell you to watch it, but you should watch it. Um, <laughs> What we were thinking is in terms, remember they used to do like with Breaking Bad and uh, uh, The Walking Dead and stuff like that? They would, as soon as the new episode of the week was over, they would have a whole show just talking about that episode. That could be us, man. And this is the only one with the name. We would call it, you ready for this? Breaking Shadows. Patent pending. Very creative. So you guys have that kind of creativity to look forward to in that podcast. <laughs> Lots of bad wordplay. You're welcome. <laughs> The number three pivot podcast, Jeopardy podcast, in the same vein of the episodic, like the breaking shadows, but John and I and DJ Bingington, we watch Jeopardy basically every day. Uh, we talk about it. If we don't watch it together, we talk about it after we've watched it together. So might as well fucking record it and Put it out as a podcast because I think it would be awesome. I've even talked on Twitter a few times about Jeopardy, usually in the off season when there's no baseball or anything. Well, I mean, that seven o'clock appointment is a little less pressing when a game starts at 710, you know? That's true. All right. So the number two pivot podcast, and this one is actually more serious than anything else, is a music podcast. Now, I bring this up because early on, I was having some struggles with the dynamic of breaking balls, like finding like my place in all of this, right? And Emily came up with a great analogy that just like set me straight. And she's like, listen, if we were doing a music podcast, like I'm a professional musician, right? And you know, Emily is also a big music fan. So just picture that dynamic switched, right? Like Emily's a baseball expert. Emily, you know, played collegiate softball, all that shit. I'm just a baseball fan, you know, that happens to be funny and related to her. <laughs> Not to brag. <laughs> no, no, but seriously. So that 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 always stuck with me, like that thinking of like, oh yeah, how would I do this? You know, how, how would I think about it if it was reversed, if we were doing a music podcast, right? So and on top of that, Emily and I have music tastes that overlap, but then we also have a ton of stuff that, you know, I listen to that she doesn't listen to and vice versa. And we're both also open-minded people with this kind of stuff. So I think there would be a lot there. You know, there's constantly good stuff coming out now. There's good stuff to revisit from the past, introducing each other to new music. I think that has a lot of potential. If baseball ever, like, gets wiped off the face of the map, that's there waiting for us. I mean, personally, I can't wait to argue about who does or doesn't belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's meaningless. The voters actually you know it. No, let's not go down that road. The number one pivot podcast. Nerd shit. I mean, it's basically just a culmination of everything right. we just mentioned, because the reality is all these ideas are great and we would be great executing it. But it would be even better if it was just a smorgasbord of nerdy shit and non-sports-related shit that we would talk about. And it would probably be just a combination of all this stuff plus other things that we both enjoy. It is, yeah. I mean, you know, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, all that shit. It's like, what are we doing here on Breaking Balls? We're being nerds just about something objectively kind of cooler than that other stuff. So it's not that much of a stretch. That about wraps it up for Breaking Balls this week. We want to thank all of our listeners. You guys are awesome. And of course, our callers, anyone else listening, wants to get in on the fun, feeling brassy, give the Breaking Balls hotline a call, 631-820-7377. 
You can also find us on Twitter at BreakBallsPod. And we want to thank our amazing and talented producer and engineer, DJ Bingington. You can find him on Twitter as well, at DJ B-I-N-G-I-N-G-T-O-N. And we will catch you guys next week. <laughs>